Hello and welcome to the 36th edition of the Traveling to Bike Touring Podcast. I'm your host, Friedel. is actually coming to you from our tent which is nestled into the woods in Holland and we're camping for free. We'll tell you more about that later. And we're also going to be talking to David Piper who's been going around the world on his bicycle one trip at a time. Welcome back to the show. You could be forgiven for thinking that this show was maybe disappearing because I know I haven't done one in quite a few weeks. It's for all the usual reasons. We've been really busy with work, both our full-time jobs and also dreaming up ideas for the website that we'd like to bring to you. Maybe some in the next few weeks or so. We'll have to wait and see. But tonight we have lots of time on our hands because Andrew and I are actually camping in Holland. Maybe you can hear our stove going in the background. Andrew's frying up some green peppers and some sausage. We're going to put it with some pasta in a few minutes. And I think the kind of camping that that we're doing tonight is a little bit special because it's actually free wild camping that you can do in Holland and in Belgium. And I don't think many people are actually aware that you can do this in Europe because Europe isn't known for being one of the best wild camping areas in the world outside of perhaps Scandinavia where it's quite easy. So tonight we're going to tell you a little bit about exactly how you can do this in Holland and Belgium. The sites are called Paul camping sites and they're called Paul camping sites because Paul means pole and there's actually a pole that marks each one of these sites and you can find a map of them on the internet. I'll link to it a little bit later. They're quite rustic so I'll get Andrew maybe to describe exactly what one looks like. Yeah, so we're basically away from a lot of any houses. Uh, we're in the woods a little bit. I mean, you can hear the birds chirping away. And we don't really have that much here. We have a bit of a clearing. Um, it's a bit wet. Uh, I can see that if uh, we were here during wintertime, you wouldn't want to come in here. All we have is basically a pole saying what's available, how long you're supposed to stay, no more than so many tents, and a water pump, and it's quite secluded. So as Andrew was saying, it's very, very rustic here, but it is free, and there are about 50 of these sites all across Holland. You can stay for three days, and there can be up to three tents, and we think it's just perfect. You know, we're not big fans of campsites because they're a little bit noisy, they seem a little bit sterile to us, you don't really feel like you're getting the best out of nature, and... This is just wonderful. The other thing you need to know about Paul camping sites is that they're only accessible by bike or on foot. Really big fan of these Paul camping sites. We'll see how tonight goes, um, but shouldn't be any problems, I don't think. And uh, then tomorrow we'll head off back home because this is actually only 10 kilometers from our home. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the close, it's, it's the closest campsite to our house. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fantastic little discovery. We're really pleased with it. And one of the funny things about this trip is that we were actually trying to come ultra light because we thought, well, look, we're only going for one night. That means we don't need a change of clothes. We don't need all these extra things that you tend to carry on a bike trip. What is there that we really need just for one night? Most things you can do without for the 12 or 15 hours that we're going to be away from home. Well, I have to say we haven't been entirely successful. Andrew, how many bike bags did we bring for... We brought two panniers each and one back bag for the, the tent and uh, sleeping mat. So yeah, we've got four panniers plus one. Plus my bar bag. Uh, so yeah, 
Which is exactly what we take when we go on a long weekend uh, with the Dutch cycling clubs here. We take almost exactly the same amount of stuff. So as you can imagine, we just aren't very good at traveling light. We try, but it just always ends up to be at least two bags each, if not a little bit more. And that's why I have all the more admiration for David Piper. Now David's someone that I've been corresponding with quite a lot by email for the last couple of years. And I finally got the chance to meet him in London. And I just had to interview him because he has such a unique approach to around the world trip. A lot of us think, well, I'd like to do around the world trip, but I can't take three years off work to do it, for example. Well, David's got around that because he's picked out the places he wants to ride in the world. And then he takes two, three, four weeks off and goes and rides that spot, comes home, works for a little bit longer, and then goes back and does another trip the next time he's built up some vacation days. And slowly but surely, he's joining up the dots for his trip around the world. I think it's just a fantastic approach, and David goes ultralight. So I met him in London when we were there about a month ago, and I asked him to tell us a little bit about his trip. My name is David Piper, and I live in Cornwall, and I am cycling around the world in individual stages. So when I get a little holiday, I go off on my bike, and I add a little bit more to my big map of the world. So piece by piece, hopefully I'll have made it all the way around the world, maybe in the next five years or so. Give us an idea of when you started and the different stages that you've done so far. Sum it up for us. Yeah, okay. Well, I suppose I started by cycling the length of England about 10 years ago. Found that I enjoyed that. Then uh, I've cycled through, throughout Europe, across the Alps, down through Italy, across Greece and Turkey, and then a little bit in the Middle East as well. Um, and some further afield places, parts of the Western states, uh, India, Nepal. And when you started out on this, when you did that first trip in England, were you thinking, man, I'm going around the world in stages, or is this an no. idea that developed over time? No, it hadn't occurred to me at all to do something like that. Um, but I, somebody gave me a book which was called A Bike Ride by Anne Musto, which is well known in cycle touring spheres. And it uh, occurred to me that if uh, an old lady <laughs> with no cycling experience could do something like that, then uh, I could certainly do it during my holidays, piece by piece. Um, she was a real inspiration to me and it made me think that all those things are possible if you just put your mind to it. And when did the idea come to actually make it into a world trip and connect the dots? Oh, um, that, that came soon after the first trip. But I thought, well, you know, there's lots of holidays between now and retirement, so uh, I can just fill the gaps that way. And how far along are you in this quest to go around the world? I think it's a never-ending journey. Um, although I've done about 12,000 miles, so I suppose I could say I've, I've almost made a circumnavigation so far. But, uh, yeah, I think it can go on and on, keep on adding bits. Okay, so there's not going to come a day where you say, okay, that's enough, I've completed this last link in the chain and that's it, I'm going home to put my feet up and watch TV. Not planning to do that yet. <laughs> so give us a quick summary, the best place you've been of all the places on your trip, what's the one that really stands out for you? Oh, that's such a difficult question because everywhere that I've been have, has had its own individual attributes. I'd say maybe in terms of friendliness, then Syria would stand out. In terms of scenery, then you can't beat the west of the USA. Variety, then it's England. Oh, there's so many, so many reasons. That, that there's never been anywhere that I've said that I really, really didn't like. 
Every, everywhere's had its own individual unique flavour, and it's it's uh, it's USP if you like. And what about a difficult moment? When was a moment when you said to yourself, "Why am I doing this? I mean, I could just be <laughs> home, I could have a nice shower and be comfortable, and instead I'm here." What was that moment for you? Because I'm doing it constrained by a budget of time, as opposed to other budgets. Um, that moment happens usually every day at about five o'clock when I'm cycling and I'm tired and sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> and something on the bike is broken and I've had enough. <laughs> but I, I soon have something to eat and pull myself together. <laughs> um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how you're touring, because unlike the trip that Andrew and I did, where we piled absolutely everything we could onto our bikes and made them as heavy and unwieldy as possible, you tend to go ultralight. So give us an idea of what that means. Yeah, because I'm doing it um, as, as during my holidays rather than as one continuous tour there isn't the budgetary constraints that you'd have if you were trying to live in that style all year round so I'm able to stay in hotels motels and so on so I'm just carrying the most minimal uh, toolkit tiny little pack of spares a few snacks to last the day and a change of clothes and that's about it really so on some tours I've managed to get everything just into a bar bag wow What's that, about five kilos or even that no, much? No! No? Much less! <laughs> Sorry, I've never travelled with less than 30 yeah. kilos on my bike, so... I've never travelled with more than three! Really? Yeah. The whole thing, even when you have the back panniers? Yeah. Excluding the weight of the panniers themselves. Yeah. Wow. I'm impressed. <laughs> and has there ever come a point where you said, I'm missing something, or I, gee, I really wish I'd brought this, or... No, because I think I'm inclined to feel that you... You, you can't prepare for every eventuality so you can't carry everything you can't carry a spare for everything on the bike so you just take the most likely things to break like a tube or a chain link or a spoke, a spoke and a cable that's about it um, and well food wise I'm buying it as I go clothes if you stay at the hotel you can get them washed <laughs> so no I don't think I've ever felt that I didn't take enough what kind of an effect does it have on your budget? May I ask what you spend on average in a day? Or Oh yeah I try to budget between 50 and 100 pounds a day Okay, so it does bump the budget up considerably from someone who's doing your wild camping and cooking all their own food. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If, if I was going to go on a world tour that lasted all year, then that would be impossible. Or very irresponsible, whichever way you look at it. <laughs> well, you're a financial planner, so you would know <laughs> yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> and conversely, what sort of an effect does it have on the distance that you can go? Oh, I think it has a huge effect on the distance. If you're not carrying the weight and you're not having to find somewhere to camp, cook your own food, you've got a lot more time, so... Uh, I'm able to cover perhaps more mileage than I would do if I was fully loaded. Any idea what the average is for day? I know exactly what the average is. It's 112. Miles? Yeah. So what does that work? 200k per day. 200k a day? Yeah. Oh, we've never even come close to that. I think we did 160 one day and we just about died. You know? Oh, no. And that's your average? Yeah. Wow. You're really moving then. Is that because you're going for a long period of time or are you moving more quickly per hour? No, very much a factor of time rather than speed. I'd, I'd like to say the, the, the way to cover the distance is to eliminate the faff factor and just, just get on with it, get up early and ride. Because it's, it's time is the luxury that I don't have, um, then I'm inclined to say, well, okay, I want to cover 1,000 or 2,000 miles in, in one particular trip. And despite not caring very much, you've told me that you're a real fan of gear and gadgets. So what's the one thing you've got on your bike that you just think everyone should have or you can't imagine that you ever lived without it? Lights. <laughs> the, the latest technology in bike lights is just absolutely mind-blowing. You can have a tiny light which weighs virtually next to nothing and will shine as bright as a car light all night. They're just a, a real transformation in, in what's happened with bike technology. 
Um, and from the safety point of view as well, particularly the rear light, I've had car drivers actually beep at me and complain that my light was too bright. And what kind of lights have you got in case someone wants to run out and get the same one? Oh, we're going to plug them. Okay, this yeah, is uh, Endura, uh, sorry, okay, right, USC Exposure. And you're happy with them? No complaints? No, no complaints. Maybe after this, they'll send me some free ones. No. <laughs> you didn't get the first ones free, just in no. way of disclosure? Or... Not at all, no, no. But they've no. replaced them under a warranty when they went wrong, so can't complain about that. And are they very expensive? Uh, yeah, the set that's on the bike at the moment uh, would be about £200. But I've ridden a lot at night, and uh, they've certainly had their benefits there. Um, I like to ride at night, particularly in places which are maybe highly populated, so it's nice and quiet or where the weather is really, really hot and at night it's nice and cool. What's the one piece of advice you would give to people who are thinking of setting out on a bike tour? Wear sunblock. <laughs> Does that come from a very bad experience or is that just based on the song? It's a song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, uh, again, with the technology perhaps, um, some of the tyres that are available now are incredibly resistant to punctures. So get some decent tyres. Go to a reputable bike shop, um, maybe not a chain, but something that's privately owned, and talk to someone with a bit of experience in the shop and they will fit you up with some tyres. They're going to be expensive, but uh, they'll be worth their weight in gold. Thank you very much, David, for that interview. And I hope someday that we can travel as lightly as you. Looking at the bike panniers all around me, I just can't imagine we're going to get there, but you never know. Maybe a smaller tent, maybe smaller mats. Maybe no mat, maybe no tent. Maybe that would help. Maybe on your side of the tent, darling. <laughs> I think I'm not willing to give up my luxuries just yet. Well, that's it for this show. I know it was a short one, but we've got a much longer one coming up in the next couple of weeks. And that's going to be with Rick Gunn, who spent three years going around the world. And Rick, like us, definitely didn't go ultralight. As always, if you have any thoughts or comments on the show or the website, drop us a line. The email is us at travelingto.com. 